Give me some good drag names right now. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Miss Dorta Hell. Oh, I like that. Miss Green Apple Two Steps. I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there, and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Hardard, and Dustin Hardard? Hardard? That's my name, Dustin Harder, without a D, and he carried a watermelon just like Baby and Dirty Dancing. I'm here with my husband and producer of the podcast, Mr. Rossetti. How you doing, Rosie? I'm doing great, and I do like to carry watermelons. <laughs> I felt like I had to give that reference because I, like I felt that. like it is now an old reference. It is now an old reference. I you, should you just, just be able yourself. to say I carried a watermelon. Yeah, you just dated yourself. I don't I have say. a problem. Listen, I, listen, I don't have, I'm 40. 40 and fierce. and 40 I'm, and fierce and fabulous. I'm fine with it. So dating myself is like not a concern. What I'm concerned about is if there's any little bebes out there who didn't understand what the quote I carried a watermelon is from. Y'all need to go watch the original Dirty Dancing because wasn't there none like of, a. Yeah, none of that new. Was there a TV? Mm-hmm. It was a TV movie remake. What is that? Breslin Child that grew oh. up. Yep. No, thank you. Don't do really? it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're going to get off that. Uh, <clears throat> let's get how, right into it. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm okay. great. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. Great? I'm, I'm, I'm so fine. We're going to roll right into it because the interview's a little long today. I want to make sure we like get there. We're, let's we're do both it. doing good? Let's do it. Okay. So I'm handing you the book. Can you flip through there and give me a little, little slice of heaven there? What's coming out of this book from Chef Susie Gerber? So we've got a seitan piccata. Oh, I do love me a piccata. Sure num, num, num. Yum, num, 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 num. Maitake steak. I know a that's not your jam, steak. but that sounds absolutely delicious yeah, to I'm, me. I'm out on that one. She does a lot of very uh, extravagant restaurant-style uh, meals in here. She really takes uh, vegan cuisine, plant-based gourmet to another level for the home cook. Uh, I just turned on a sunchoke celery root soup. Oh, that sounds oh, kind of like nice. Very and, interesting. Like, autumnal. Yes. She does a lot oh, of. I don't good. know if we'll land on any of it here. But, oh, s- squid ink two ways. Squid ink two ways. Well, so I was How just going to say she does a lot of seafood things in here, which is very, very interesting to see in a vegan book. So I think if you're someone who's been searching for vegan seafood recipes, this book, Plant Based Gourmet, uh, Vegan Cuisine for a Home Chef, is for you. It is by Susie Gerber. Chef Susie is a plant based executive chef specializing in world cuisine and superfood medicine. She is the former executive chef and director of prestige hospitality leading concepts concepts such as pressed chef Susie is a well-known chef culinary medicine and food industry consultant Uh, her food and recipes have been sold in whole foods and utilized in kitchens consumer goods and medical studies across the world with her full service consulting firm haven foods uh, she helps serve all aspects of the food supply chain making it possible for companies of all sizes and tenures to commit to greener cleaner sustainable food industry chef Susie's newly released book plant-based gourmet is the number one gourmet cookbook of the season, honeys, with rave reviews from Rolling Stone, NY Post, and Veg News. Here she is to tell us all about it. It's Chef Susie Gerber. We're getting gourmet with plants up in here with Susie Gerber. Welcome to the podcast, Susie. Hey, thanks for having me, Dustin. 
Yeah, of course you said, hey. Now we're going to dive right into your icebreaker question. If you could commit any crime and get away with it, what would you choose and why? So this one is like uh, an easy one, and I hope it doesn't get too many eye rolls from the listeners. Mine was easy too, so I'm very interested to see what you're going to say. Go but on, like, lay it on me. I, I'm like a firm supporter of open rescue, and I have some really dear friends that kind of get arrested on the semi-rag about that. And so if if I could, I would do more of it. And as a result, I would say easily, like, I would be busting into animals livestock holding and like freeing animals kind of well explain to our listeners what open rescue is then so open rescue is an animal rights activist uh, approach that involves very brazenly going on to farms and going on to like either either livestock raising facilities or slaughtering facilities and picking up an animal and carrying the animal out with absolutely no intention of obscuring your identity. So you're openly rescuing in broad daylight mm-hmm. an animal to rescue mm-hmm. them from slaughter. And it's it's an activist piece. It's a bold piece. And it, it, it's definitely very illegal. And um, you often do get arrested, but I think it raises a lot of visibility around the issue. And I think it's absolutely, important. I love that that was your, your like no brainer. You're like went right to that. Mine seems so terrible now in comparison. <laughs> I mean, I guess not because the end game of mine is for the animals too, but mine, like hands down, I was like, Oh, I'm going to like rob a bank or like get some money any way that I can. And then my mindset behind that was that I was like, so I can open like all of the vegan businesses and support like all of the vegan causes. So we're oh, on the I same track, that. basically. Yeah, that. we're on the same track. Businesses so we're need stealing... help now, like big time. Yes, now more than ever. And and you and I are going to go steal animals and steal money. Just kidding, everybody. It was if we could get away with it, but we can't. So. Yeah, FBI, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Susie, give our listeners a little glimpse into who you are and where you are from and, and how food sort of became part of your story. Yeah. So, um, I'm one of these people, like I was vegan in the nineties, uh, when all you ate were like hockey pucks that were called Boca burgers. (laughs) And my favorite thing was tofuti cuties and you could not find soy milk in a grocery store, let alone at a coffee shop. And tofuti cuties are like the little (laughs) ice cream sandwiches. Is that right? The sandwiches. Do you still get them? I do they not. still have them. I definitely do. They still have them. And I, <laughs> I I don't know. I got them a few years ago. There was a place uh, by my apartment in New York that had them. And every now and then I'd grab them. And every time I got them, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? There's things that are so much better. Than <laughs> but in the 90s, it was the end all be all. It was really all you had. Yeah, I would so. walk down to this one corner store on Allen at like Allen, like First Avenue near Allen and Orchard. And I would get these like they had it was like the one place that had them and I would walk down there like every time Lower East Side and I would just pick them up mm-hmm. and um it was a whole it was a whole thing so um yeah so for me like uh it started that way I would call myself a very like consummate 90s junk food vegan where like fried rice and uh french fries were like my entire diet and Sure. Um, at some point, uh, my family doctor told me and also my mom at the same time that I would never be like thin and 
healthy and all of those things that are like totally not okay to say anyway, um, if I didn't stop being vegan. And so my mother, who is a mom and also a Jewish mom and also a doctor, looked me in the eye the way that you do and was like, you're stopping this right now. <laughs> like she's, mm-hmm. She was otherwise like very supportive in general. But when, when it got told that way, it was like, that's it. Sure. So I went from being vegan to being on Atkins diet, like overnight. And wow, yeah, it was a really intense transition. I'm kind of an intense person. Can you tell? I just took a drink of water and I almost spit it right <laughs> out when you said that. Wow. Yeah, merited, merited. Um, so uh, yeah, so that happened. And then like, long story short, in my mid-20s, I loved to call myself like, you know, oh, I, a humane meat, blah, blah, blah. But I developed like a very serious and debilitating chronic illness, autoimmune disease. And it like, I went from 25 to like 65 in like terms wow. of like years. And so for five years, I like battled this every way that like medicine traditionally did at the time and nothing worked. And I stumbled upon some medical research on plant-based diet. And I said, I, you know, I've always been a vegan in my heart. Ha ha ha. Humane meat. Ha ha ha. I'll give this a shot. Sure. No problem. And I was on a business trip to Chicago and I did it for a week. And on my way back to New York, I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like so good. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep seeing, I'm going to keep, I'm going to ride this out for a little while longer and see how I do. So for five years of my life, I was on morphine. I was on gabapentin. I was on all these medications to manage my autoimmune disorder, chronic pain as a result of it. And I was doing this like very intense physical therapy because like I could barely walk sometimes. So after two weeks, I didn't need my medication anymore. After four weeks, I was off medication and completely asymptomatic. After six months, I was like in the best shape of my life at the time. I had lost a ton of weight. I had gone back to doing like a day. I I wasn't able to do like any exercise while I was ill, like, because it would injure me. So I couldn't do like yoga or anything. So I was like doing a full like um, vinyasa, like power vinyasa, like practice again. Like it was, it was like night and day, like the clock wound back at this point, I'm in my thirties and I'm in like the best health of my life. Like not only am I thin, which is whatever, like I'm, I'm strong I'm fit. I'm flexible. I'm doing sure. yoga all of the time. Like I'm feeling great, you know, I'm feeling great. And so for me at that point, I was, you know, I had a background in medicine and I had a background in food, but my love and what I was doing in New York at the time was I was in fashion. And I found myself with like every single day going like, really? I don't care. Like Vogue can call me and I'm super over it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, um, I, I just like took one step after another, like apprenticing at places and moving more and more back into food. Cause like, I felt like I saw the light, you know, like how people say, I was like, this yeah, changed I mean, my like life that. like overnight. So, yeah. So basically like one, one foot in front of the other retrained back into kitchens. I already had like very high level executive experience. So like when those two things married back together, 
Um, and I, I gained like more specific vegan skill, like cooking skills. Sure. Um, sure. it sort of took off. And then a few years after that, I started working in clinical medical research, evaluating like, why do people choose or not choose to eat vegan? Like, why do people stay with diets when they change their diets and like all of that stuff. And for me, as soon as I realized that this was the right choice for me from, from like a selfish personal reason, like all of the animal rights stuff, like immediately came back. And I realized like, like in part, I was like, I feel like I got sick because I, I like went away from like what I always knew was right for me. Sure. 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 So, that, that makes sense. That I mean, it's so interesting. I started uh, in my journey into veganism was also health related. But then once it all came together, it's like now I'm like, oh, my gosh, animals first all the way. It's so funny, you know, like, whatever sort of like it, the different things click for different people at different times, you know, and you had a whole like makeover in terms of health, like to the far end and back, you know, Oh, totally. It's just so interesting to see how it is. I mean, but like in the 90s, when I was a kid and be like vegan, I was like, I was like one of those people that would like, I threw paint on people coming out of stores. I broke into animal testing labs, like back in the nineties. So for me, like to go not vegan at the time was like, I, I say I went, I went non-vegan overnight and I did, but like, it was a huge cognitive dissonance. Right. And when I went back to being vegan, it was like, Oh, obviously I like literally just like, sure. just like holistically destroyed my entire self. Right. Yeah. Like your foundation almost. Yeah. Like that's, that's hard. But then you're back. You bounce back, back and now we've got a book out of it too. Look at that. <laughs> well, when we talk about books too, and we talk about you getting into food, do you remember when you were either first in veganism or when you really got into cooking vegan food? Do you remember what the very first vegan cookbook was that you owned? Oh, I mean, first and last and always, it will always be Isa. <laughs> it will always be do you know, Isa. Like, do you know which one? I think, I think it was, well, first of all, it was post-punk kitchen, (laughs) the blog, the blog, but, but the, I think the first cookbook of hers that I actually like physically owned that was my own was probably Veganomicon. Veganomicon. We get that. We get that answer a lot. And then, I mean, I will say that like when I was, when I was going back and I was like really trying to like, you know, dual life for a while, like, you know, cook for myself, be on the road, like for my job, um, that book, uh, big vegan was a big one. was another one for me. Ooh, who's that by? Uh, Oh God, I should really have that answer like preloaded for you, but I, let me, let me Google that. It's a really amazing book. Robin Asbel. Oh, I've never heard of it. I'm looking it up right now. It was just like, right place, right time, nice, big book, like the name suggests, comprehensive, a little bit of everything. Um, oh, I see. Okay. doesn't have yes, a lot yes, of yes. like, it's not really like st- a stylistic book, if that makes sense. Sure. Whereas I feel like sure. Issa has a very particular style. Um, yeah, my favorite uh, Issa one is her, Issa does it. I mean, I have several, mm-hmm. but Issa does it is one of my favorite, favorite yeah, ones yeah. from that one. I mean, Issa's yeah. like, she's, She's like, 
she's like the the guru at the top of the mountain as far as i'm concerned she's the queen, she's the queen. She's the queen honey she tweeted well, at me that she bought my book and i like legit screen capped that oh, and posted it <laughs> i love that how great is that Oh, that's so special. Well, speaking of your book, let's let's get into it over here. This beautiful hardcover book, The Plant-Based Gourmet, Vegan Cuisine for the Home Chef, 150 Recipes for High-End Plant-Based Cuisine. Tell me more about this title. Give us an overview. What is this book offering uh, to what you call the home chef here? What what are we offering the home chef? Yeah, here? spoilers. It's probably way more than 150 recipes, but like we needed a round <laughs> number. So the original terrible title for this book was um eat eat as eat in wait no I'm gonna get it wrong eat out stay in um which we changed Uh. for like reasons but like um Uh. the idea was that it was like restaurant quality food when you're at home so sure my whole concept was like what if the best restaurant in town was in your own kitchen because like uh, like in my intro, I talk about how like, you know, I was I, I went vegan again for the second time when I was in New York and it was like amazing time to be vegan. Like everything was so creative and all of the all of the like cornerstone vegan restaurants were opening. And then I, I was faced with leaving New York and I was like, what do people do when they don't live in New York? And I was like, oh, yeah. What is it that people do when they're not in New York? And, <laughs> it and, sounds like the story of my life for the last year and a right? half. We moved to I lived in New York for 20 years. We moved to Atlanta like a year and a half ago. And literally, it's like, oh, we're like just figuring it out how not to be New Yorker. Yeah. I mean, New York is like it definitely spoils you. But like, honestly, at this point, I think Atlanta has got has got it going on. Oh, yeah. And, Atlanta is. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, we're good. But like, we're good. Yeah. I think like Atlanta, New York, LA, when you're in those places, you're spoiled rotten. And then you leave and you're like, oh, right. Like I'm out here telling everybody go vegan, go vegan. But like, it's mo- it's like massively different to be vegan outside sure. of a met- like metropolitan area. And, you know, I've, I've lived and worked in Berlin. I've lived and worked in London. I've lived and worked in New York and like all these places. Right. So I've seen this huge range of what's possible. And I was like, you know what? And I remember when I like first went back to being vegan and I was like training back up, I was like, I wish there was a vegan culinary school, like all of that stuff. So for my, for me, this book was like, you want that training? I'll give you that training. You want to know how to have food, how to be a vegan and a foodie at the same time? I got you. You want to have like a a Christmas dinner with you and your whole family that like not, not everybody's vegan, but you want stuff that like would fit in there. Like I, I got you covered. Sure. Are you interested in learning these advanced techniques that like, you know, there's a million cookbooks out there and they all really want to teach you like burgers and mac and cheese and stuff, which is awesome. And sure. I eat that food, but like, sometimes I also want other stuff. Like I live in a city that has a fine dining restaurant, but it's honestly not as fine dining as I would normally be used to. If I, if I wasn't vegan, I would have way more options. So even like just that range of stuff. So I was hoping that this would be like for the people who were, you know, up and coming pro chefs that wanted more vegan options for, you know, your, let's say you've got kids in college that come back to visit you and they're vegan and you don't know what to make for family dinner or like, Let's say you're a foodie and now you're going to be moving to like Cleveland. Like, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) 
no offense, Cleveland. I have no idea. I was going to say shout out to Cleveland. We love you. But what do you do? I have no idea. I haven't been to Cleveland in like eight years. Don't hate me. Um, I, I, last time I was there, there were a couple places popping up if memory serves, but that could have been Columbus. I Cali- Columbus is rocking. Cleveland. Columbus has yeah, definitely know. got it going on with the food and like in general, like nightlife and like all of that stuff, but not Cleveland. I love that things are expanding. Along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've, you've got a history. It sounds with Cleveland. Um, <laughs> well, you have a great intro here offering tips on great ingredient sourcing. You also go into depth about growing our own ingredients, which I love. Of course, we should all grow our own ingredients if you can. If you can, it's an amazing thing to do. You know exactly the source and where everything's coming from. And you get into preparing the pantry with spices, herbs, dry ingredients, sweeteners, seeds, nuts, plant milks, oils, and egg replacers. Uh, you have a really great two-page spread in here that I, I enjoyed with spice blend suggestions. Mm. Uh, sort of gives the reader some different ideas of combinations on on how to make their own spice blends with things like the beefy spice blend, chickeny spice blend, uh, the garam masala, the Thai spice, and even dessert spice. What is your favorite or most used spice blend from your uh, that you have in your kitchen? Honestly, I probably use the smokehouse spice blend the most. It's definitely my like I'm lazy and want to make this flavor pop a little bit. Tastes delicious. Um, yeah. <laughs> although I do go back and forth between harissa and smoke. I will be honest. I, I like. I like a lot of heat though so like often i just sprinkle a little like scorpion pepper in there which is not in the book <laughs> i do i do i like heat as well so it's nice that you can kind of give people the options here too but the you say that last one's not in the book but the harissa and the smokehouse blends are in the book everybody so you do have those blends in here um but it is a really great spread on sort of helping people build their own spices which i think yeah I, my whole goal here is to like it's not just like, here are some recipes. It's like, I really want you to build food and cooking literacy, right? Like I want you to feel confident to do what I do, which is not follow a recipe or like have years of experience. What I do is, what I do is I go, this is how I want this to taste, or this is, this is what's in this. Like, so when someone throws out a dish, I can say the typical ingredients in a pesto are this, 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 and this. If I want to do a variation on that, on that, I'm going to switch this for this because it's similar in this way and different in that way. And that's really what I want to build up here is like, oh, so you don't like smoky flavors? Not a problem. Like move down and now you've got a French palette and it's the same dish, but you've changed this one thing because you are confident with what goes into it. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, Bar and Girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk where me and my co-host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby! Well, and you go a little beyond the ingredients too, which I love because you also talk about in this next section in the intro, you talk about prepping your ingredients, which everybody listening, if you prep your stuff before you start cooking, you're literally setting yourself up for success. And I think this is sort of, you know, as authors, I think sometimes it, it, it gets neglected in the book to really like hit that point home. But you do great here talking about, you know, prepping, setting up for success. You also give insights to equipment that's helpful in the kitchen with a nice extensive list of different equipment to use. What's your most used piece of a kitchen equipment, kitchen equipment, would you say? Um, 
So if I was going to be lame, I would tell you it was my spatula. <laughs> like I, I'm very, like, I have very particular spatula desires and I have different spatulas for different purposes, but quite, I get it. quite honestly, my Vitamix. <laughs> no, also very important. Very important. I love my Vitamix so much. Yeah. I, I live for my so Vitamix. Much. It's about time for me to actually swap out my blade and motor. Uh, well, you, uh, you also talk about like knife skills in here, which I found fascinating. You sort of give a quick rundown on slicing and dicing and some of the most used vegetables in the kitchen. It's funny cause I'll be teaching a cooking class and people always say to me, they're like, well, you know, how do I cut it? Like really fast. I'm like, Henny, that's going to take some practice. We can't just do it in this like moment right here. You know? Yeah. You can get um, precision, you can get speed yeah. or you can get, um, yeah, I don't even remember my own tips. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but that's just it, right? Things take time. It just takes practice. And you give everybody sort of a nice base here to start with. And then if someone wants to get really good at knife skills, my point of saying that in classes, I'm like, you need to like take a legit knife skills class and or you can get this book and read up on knife skills. And then you just have to practice over and over. So it's nice that you give people a base for them to sort of build from. Yeah, right? I mean, so the number one, so I, I tour all over the world teaching classes and working with with people of every skill level from pro on to individual. And the number one thing I hear from people when they're going from traditional diets to plant-based diets is like, how do you cut all of those vegetables? Uh, <laughs> like it's the number one thing that I hear. And also like as someone who I, you know, I ran a nine, a nine multi-unit restaurant for several years and I had to train all of the staff and like cooking and, you know, like I watched people get stupid injuries, like, like totally preventable, sure. predictable injuries all of the time. And so for me, yeah. I had, I distilled this down into like, this is what I know. Like I can look at you and be like, I'm going to tell you to stop doing that to an avocado uh -huh, right uh -huh. now. And it's because <laughs> like, you know, I, I can chop something very quickly. And it's because I found, I found the part of the book that says it's, you know, you can, out of speed, minimizing waste, uniformity of intricacy, you can have two. And when you get good, you can have three, but you'll never have all four. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, like for me, the idea is like, if you learn even just things like the proper way to set up dicing or cubing, like it's mm -hmm. such a little hack that's so intuitive and obvious once you see it. And it should take about half of the speed out of like instead of individually dicing every cube, you know? Sure. So sure. I think like those things, like once it's, once people know it once, they can actually take a huge bite out of it. And then I think they're inspired to go a little. Well, and then, cause you keep, cooking so i mean you think about it if you're cooking you know even just a few times a week that's a few times a week you're going to practice your knife skills you know yeah and choosing the right knife yeah. which is the other oh, really good important. way to prevent injury is like mm -hmm. i know the big knife is scary but i promise you it will cut you less than the little knife it'll cut you less i swear <laughs> i my i was just talking uh talking to somebody who's uh we went to a friend's mother let us borrow their condo for like our birthday weekend my husband and I and it was you know secluded nobody was there but like we got there and I usually take my own chef's nice everywhere and I forgot because I was trying to like not work that weekend mm. I was like I'm gonna actually relax didn't bring it and it was like all these old knives from like the 70s and they were all dull and small and I was like I don't even know what to do with this <laughs> what is happening here you know and I was like this is just dangerous this is this is I was like I need my chef's knife so 
Listen to Chef Susie, y'all. Get a good knife. Uh, you also chat about plating and taking a nice photo. What are a couple quick tips you can give our listeners about plating and taking a nice photo? Yeah. So I think like the number one thing that I try to keep in mind when I'm specifically photographing stuff is how many colors are you are present? Like nice. most of our food, like most of the food that we eat, even when we're health conscious is like somewhere in the like, like seventies color palette of like oranges and browns. It's like very fall colors because like once it's cooked, it comes out that way. Right. But so those don't make for the most appealing photographs. The most appealing photographs have like usually three or four colors and a couple of different textures, which is why you see people like me. I'm totally guilty of this. Like I'll, I'll cook what I'm going to cook and then I garnish the hell out of it. And what I garnish it with is like the beautiful, the beautiful stuff. Sure. And the oh food gosh, is like course. less exciting. Um, which is exactly how I feel about the cover of my book, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, so that's that. Oh, you mean the garnish? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now as you say that, and I was like, I see. This. It's like a white noodle bowl, and then I've been like, Here's but then some we got a flower, yeah, 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 and some yeah. mushroom, you know, like. But it's so good. That's exactly what makes it pop. It's so funny. I had a friend who's starting their garden and they were like, oh, what do you need this? I was like, any edible flowers you can ever grow for me. I need you to grow yes. them and give them all to me. All of them. Yes. I, them all. I will put them on everything, literally just for a photo. I just need them. Avocado toast, put a flower on it. It's done. I got to tell you, you know? the number of times. So I'm very heavily invested in um, edible flowers, both the growing of and researching of. And sure. the number of times I see Instagram people take photos with um, non-edible flowers, it just makes me chuckle like a lot. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I actually was doing a shoot with a chef once and they, they we couldn't get any. And they were like, just get any flowers. We'll just put any flowers. Yeah, any flowers. I, like, I hear you. I understand. I understand. Because we weren't going to eat it. They were like, we just need to get a photo of it. I was like, uh, well, okay. Our first chapter here, let's get into the book, takes us into sauces. And I love that you did this in the beginning. Often the sauces sort of end up with some staples in the back, like they're an afterthought. And to me, oh, sauces no. often... Yeah, to me, sauces like often determine the rest of the meal. So we've got a grilled red pepper sauce, scratch cocktail sauce, mayo variations, fishy marinade, preserves and harvest jam, homemade butter, classic pesto. Really just so much sauce, a great collection of sauce. What is a sauce you always have on hand from this book? So it used to always be my cashew dill cream, and it's probably more my classic pesto now. And so tell us about your classic pesto. What's in it? So my classic pesto is definitely um, kind of like a variation on on the theme because obviously I don't use Parmesan, which is what is normally in. So instead it has a little bit of nutritional yeast. I definitely do use some lightly toasted pine nuts. Um, And the other thing that makes mine a little bit less traditional is that I lean in to a little bit of broth instead of more oil. And I use a pinch of cumin powder, which is a little bit divisive, (laughs) but I love it. And once you try it, you'll know exactly why. Oh, well, I'll have to try that. I'm very curious now. My eyebrow is arched. I'm very curious. Uh, 
The second chapter is called Elements, which sounds sexy to me. It's like uh, there's this Liza Minnelli album called Results. <laughs> to me, it sounds the same. It's like Elements. Uh, but these are just what you say, elements to a dish. Things like seitan chicken, seitan beef, guacamole, kimchi, feta, ricotta, smoked salmon. Can you tell us about the smoked salmon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like... The, my philosophy for this book was like, A, number one, sauces and spices are everything. But um, yes. again, I was thinking about this like as a restaurant person, like you're making all of these things separately. And once you get into the habit of making the things that you like, then you can actually make a dish in like 15 minutes because the stuff yes. is already made. You throw it together, you heat it up. And this is how restaurants work. I've, I've opened the curtain and you can see behind, right? So um, the Smith's MM is you know it was it was something because yeah I'm, I'm a sushi addict I obviously don't eat fish anymore but um I'm a sushi addict I love those sea flavors you'll see that there's a ton of sea uh, seafood versions of seafood things in this book like way more than most vegan cookbooks have um <laughs> and so I love it um I need locks on my bagel and I need salmon on my sushi and that's what what I did here was I I presented a way to make a tomato-based salmon, which is at this point not that unusual, but I did it two different ways. One that's smoky for a lox and one that's much more traditional, um, like seaweed and umami flavor for sushi. That's great. What are some other... Uh, I'm, I'm, I go chapter by chapter usually, but I'm curious since you brought up the seafood nature of it all, uh, or sea flavors, I should say rather, what are some other, like a, a couple favorite, uh, sea flavored items in here? Oh, so I'll tell you that like the piece that I consider to be like, when I, when I was shooting the book and I finally like realized this, like I started off going like, if I'm going to do this book, I really have to bring something that no one has seen before. Like that was like the pressure that I put onto myself. And I really feel like the mole frit really hit that moment. Um, and it's, uh, if you have the book, it's on page 238. And it's like the, the photograph is a two page spread a couple pages after it. And it was like this wow moment for me where everything came together. I wanted to have an accessible thing and then a, and a gourmet item and bring them together into a flavor that absolutely hits that muscle flavor and texture while, while also being totally different. So that's crazy. It looks like it. I'm looking at it right now. It's um, so it's like. The secret here is it's um, it's potato skins. It's purple potato skins, very, very, very crispy baked to be the shell. So in this case, you eat the shell with um, uh, from scratch mayonnaise. And then inside that is artichoke hearts wrapped around huitlacoche, which is um, a very fancy sort of, um, they call it truffle corn. And it's a fungal, a fungal infected corn. That's a delicacy. It tastes amazing. And all of these things come together to have like really deep and bold flavor. They have a lot of the like wetness and the moisture that you associate with these, with the, the seaweed, the seafoods. Um, but they're brined and, um, they're brined overnight to really like impart this, the, the fish marinade flavor. Um, 
And it's presented with polenta fries and potato wedges and then a traditional sort of like white wine sauce that goes with mulfrit often. And so for me, and black garlic. So for me, this was like, it's it's elevated bar food. Like mulfrit was always supposed to be, but it's also about like potato skins. They're accessible to you. Maybe you don't have wheat lacoche and you're not really interested in getting that like deep in the weeds on it. So you just use the artichoke heart then. Um, but it, it really like nailed that moment for me. Um, wow. Y'all better be listening. A foodie's foodie here. From <laughs> this, uh, chef's mouth. What a, um, that is a, this is, I mean, just very, very impressive, uh, to make something like this and very out of the box in terms of vegan books and things that you'll find vegan cookbooks. I've never seen anything like this. So congrats to you. Hats off. Thank you. It looks amazing. Yeah. It looks so, so good. That's great. You want to keep going What's on a, a seafood adventure? <laughs> yeah. Give me another one. Give me another one. Okay, so You have such passion for it. I can tell. So I want to know about another so one. So obviously there's a ton of sushi in the book and it was like it was very important to me to do tamaki and not just like the regular sushi rolls, which are, I think are very beautiful. But then the other showstopper in here, which I thought was like contributing something unusual was um, my escargot, which is page 184. Um, I have no idea how many people in the world will ever make this recipe, but it was, um, (laughs) if you're interested in fine traditional French cuisine, you'll be familiar with escargot. Escargot is something that I hated when I ate fish, actually. Um, But I, uh, I found a way to make it that I thought was modern. I use a dulce flavored foam technique here. I think it's an absolutely beautiful presentation style. Like if you're entertaining people or if you have a you know date night at home, like if you're like with your husband at home, Dustin, like make this like a mousse bouche, right? They say that it's a, you know, an aphrodisiac and like, yes, I, don't, yes. I don't think the watermelon takes away from that experience. Um, <laughs> so what it is, is it's a water, it's a yellow watermelon. And the way that um, watermelon works is like, they, you know, they naturally section themselves when you cut them when they're ripe. But if you if you cut them the correct way uh, to in their sections, they will form spirals. They have natural spirals where the sections meet, and it's that tender spiral that I use as the escargot. And um, again, it's brined, uh, so it has a, a a burst of moisture. And it's sweet, but it's also seaweedy and salty. And it just, it comes together so well with the chive and the foam. Um, And you can have that, you know, that raw bar experience. Absolutely. And it looks delicious too. And you've got the serving tip here to sort of give it that little dramatic touch to serve it on ice uh, and nods to other seafood presentations, which, you know, I mean, that's always, sometimes it's important for people. Sometimes it's not, but it is important if like you're dining with, if you're trying to be an all inclusive situation, like if you have a bunch of vegans and non-vegans, you're like, let me present this to you in a way that you might be used to seeing it, you non-vegans. And then you can eat it and see it's delicious, you know? Absolutely. I mean, if you want to open a restaurant and you want to serve a dish like that, like it's an amuse-bouche. Like that was how it was listed in the book. Like you're just bringing it out to have fun, right? Like you're, right. you're saying this is this like some of the range of flavors that the chef is interested in today. And I certainly was that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. You really did go in on your passion for the seafood in this book and it, it shows throughout. Um, so 
Kudos hats off again. It's another good one. My goodness. I'm going to spin us back to chapter three, which is breads and bakes with items like tortilla wraps from scratch here, tortilla taco bowls, blue cornbread, short crust, coconut tart crust, and seed crackers. I love making bread and crackers. I just made, recently made like a peanut butter and jelly cracker. Mm. Not with it like like I baked it in the cracker. Yeah. It was so delicious. But anyway, not about me. Uh, that sounds this awesome. Is, uh, <laughs> One day, maybe I'll put the recipe out there if I can, uh, you know, bring myself to, I don't know, putting, do you have a, like a blog or anything you put stuff up on? I do. I like neglect it terribly though. Uh, yeah, me too. See, which is exactly where I was getting with that. I was like, you know, I don't like keep up on that, but, um, you know, maybe we will one day, but what's your favorite bread or uh bake item from this chapter? Yeah, I think the thing that I like crave the most is my challah, but my... The thing I probably end up making the most is either like my coconut tart crust or the blue cornbread. That blue cornbread is like smash. I smash one of those like in a day. When tell I me. It. Yeah. Tell me more about that one. That one caught my eye when I was. Looking yeah. So it's like, you know, you're all in Atlanta. So I don't want to be telling the Georgia people about cornbread. But like. <laughs> My, well, what I learned is everybody's got their own variation. Yes. So, and everybody likes it a specific way. So tell us about yours. So mine uses blue corn. So blue corn is an heirloom corn variety. It's got a lot more tooth to it, a lot more flavor to it. And it's less, it's less glutinous, meaning like it doesn't, it, it's more crumbly. So you want to like sort of address that as you go forward. If you're a purist and you don't mix it with wheat flour, um, in my book, I do not add wheat flour to this recipe. I try to make most things gluten-free and anything that's not default gluten-free, there's a gluten-free option for. And I have a gluten-free baking blend that I talk about at the beginning nice. of the book. But um, so this one is a savory cornbread. I even talk about like, you know, baking in some tempeh, like tempeh bacon um, into it and like really trying to recreate that like you're going to fry that bacon in some coconut oil and get that coconut oil be like really smoky. And that's the fat you're going to use in the cornbread to keep it from like cracking and making it really like rich and hydrated. Um, so for me, like it's, it's very hearty. It could be like an entire meal between the tempe bacon and the really hearty blue corn itself. And it's a beautiful color. I just love it. I can't wait to try that. It seemed so out of the box when I saw it. And I was like, yes, with the blue cornbread. And you can see next so to it, my jalapeno jam. Um, ah. I like it, the heat. Yes. I, I feel like we could eat together. <laughs> I hope we can eat just together. Fine. It's so sad. Yes. Oh, dreams. One day, one day we will, we shall. You're in, are you in the Boston area now? Do I have that? Yes, I'm in the Boston area. I do normally travel quite a bit more. And All right. Yeah. Then we're eating together one day. It'll happen. I'm going to manifest it. It's happening. Yay. I got my first That's vaccine great. shot yesterday, so. I got mine yesterday. Yeah. Look at those twinsies. Yes. So good. Oh, I feel like I lost you. I'm here. I'm just... Oh, there we go. Great. I'm, like, excited that we're on the same schedule. <laughs> it went out for a second, then I was like, wait, I thought something clicked. Here we but are. But then well, I just flipped the next page, and I remembered how much I love my biscuit. <laughs> ah, I love a good biscuit. I love a good biscuit. I call biscuit. these scones, and... not to be confused oh. with scones, like you have yes. here. 
Um, but these are essentially buttermilk biscuits, but they're, they're like British wear them with your, for your high, wear your, your gloves for your high tea kind of. Uh-huh. Um, it's a fancy biscuit. It's a fancy biscuit. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, and and biscuits sort of go into this next chapter, which is my favorite chapter in any book, uh, brunch and breakfast chapter. Let's chat this out, mm. Susie. What are a couple brunch or breakfast items you had to include? In uh, easily the shakshuka. Um, I cried. I used to go for shakshuka every Sunday brunch at 7th and 1st Avenue when I lived in New York. And when I went vegan, I was like, oh, dang, where am I going to be getting my shakshuka fix? Like, what am I even going to eat, though? So it was like, for me, the holy grail was like, I need shakshuka, but I need it to not just be shakshuka. I need it to be like the poached eggs that I popped and have them ooze into my stewed, yummy, delicious flavored. So uh, that's what I did. I present two different ways to make a modernist vegan egg. One is using the spherification method and the other is using a post-freeze method. Um, and they both produce um, runny yolk eggs and you can stew them right in. And I love it. And I um, also, I also, in a, Maybe in a future book, I'll include my very simple, fast chickpea version of it. But um, this was like my piece de resistance for the brunch section. It was like, for those of you out there that are into molecular gastronomy and really like have been like <laughs> trying your hand at making like fancier, um, you know, experimental vegan food, like let's do it. Like let's do your spherized egg yolks. Let's do it up. I love it. I love it. You went for it. And you've got, you know, if you're not into that stuff, y'all, she's got breakfast tacos in there, savory crepe lip, baked tofu waffles. There really is a great variety. French in there. toast so, sticks. Uh, yes. Breakfast for everybody or brunch, whichever you prefer. Um, and we go into the small plates chapter next. And that's where we found that the escargot amuse-bouche. That's where mm. that is. And what about this sweet potato confit? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So sweet potato confit is like, um, so confit is a method of cooking that's basically just like, I'm going to slowly infuse a high fat content until it gets very soft and very deep and very rich. Um, and I think of this as like, a tapas food, or a, I love putting it with my charcuterie board a little bit later in the book. Um, but I do a sweet a sweet potato confit and a pearl onion confit because they re it really does magical things to both of those things to be introduced to the vegan butter that long. And I in this book I do have my own scratch butter, but if I if I I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I use Miyoko's butter a lot of the time. I mean, come on, <laughs> the queen. Talk about another queen, another queen. Miss me. Definitely. I love that. Well, and you've also got a calamari in here. What's the calamari made out of? Okay. So this is another one of my, like, I became totally obsessed with an ingredient and had to do it thing. <laughs> um, so calamari was probably my favorite food in my entire life before I went vegan. And one day... I remembered something that I had in my childhood um, that is pacaya, pacaya palm is much more common in South America. And uh, I remembered it and I remembered that it kind of looked like 
it kind of looked like tentacles. And I, I looked around and I looked around and I looked around and I finally found that actually Goya made a jarred version of it. So oh. um, I found it. And like, if you look in the jar, it literally looks like little squids in the jar. Wow. And I said to myself, it's on. <laughs> Yeah, right? <laughs> it's on my goodness so you like i draw you dry it and cure it a little bit and then you batter it and you fry it and it's like it kind of it kind of ends up um you know you flavor it like a little bit seaweedy but it kind of ends up like um a dulce flavored potato potato french fries or, or something like okay. this really crunchy and it's so good delicious all right. Digging into those those seafood flavors again. I know. Uh, soups is our Sass. next chapter. <laughs> What's a soup you would tell someone, someone who just got this book in their hot, hot little hands? What's a soup you would tell them to make first from this chapter? Um, so the soup that I eat the most from this chapter is the pho chai, which is the cover, the cover image. Um, ah. Growing up. Um, I could not live without potato and leek soup. My mom was like a heavy hitter on the potato and leek soup. I go a little bit more French traditional with it here, but I also teach you a sous vide method with it, which I think is something that um, I'm particularly known for like vegan sous vide. But um, I think soups and sauces also, but soups, sauces, and cocktails are incredible opportunities for the sous vide where you can keep things very low temperature and you can allow flavors to really develop over a long time. You can also do things, which is my favorite thing about them. Like you can introduce herbs, fresh herbs earlier into the process and they don't get exposed to like, you know, high sauteing heats for too long. So instead it's like you get these incredibly deep aromatic broths because of the sous vide process And I demystify the sous vide process for people because it's unnecessarily complicated. And um, as a result, I say, like, grab yourself a Ziploc bag. Y'all know you have one. And I'm going to show you how to do the water immersion method where you take a zip top bag and you partially submerge it in water until you force out all the air and then zip it and you pull it out and it's vacuum sealed. And it's certainly vacuum sealed enough to make soup with. And, um, it's amazing. And it's, it's actually like not at all difficult. You, you can, I've done sous vide in like a Pyrex bowl. I've done sous vide in like a giant Cambro. Like it's like, it's just this little kitchen appliance. It's small, easy to put away. They're not that expensive anymore. You can get them for like 60 bucks now. And it's like, it's better to me. It's better than a, um, like a slow cooker. I have not ventured into it mainly because of the things that you say, and I haven't really had a reason to. So now I, I'm curious. I'm you should do the curious. chocolate from my book first. Oh, what's the chocolate? Now, what are you talking about? Is that, where is that? And what is in it? the what dessert section? About? I teach you uh-huh. how to temper chocolate using the sous vide. Nice. Oh, so good. So Tempering good. chocolate is look- a finicky pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It sure sous vide takes that all away. Oh, I love that. I'm always up for finding new options for tempering chocolate. So I'll definitely have to bookmark that and come back to it. We're moving into the mains chapter. I'm I'm loving the variety with items like the king oyster scallops and the winter cornucopia squash bowl, maitake steak, seitan piccata, and the pollock paneer. Now tell us about this honey, honey, this Sunday roast, okay? <laughs> 
Okay. I mentioned it online. It takes shape with its foundation being a watermelon. Okay, so tell us more. So, um, I number one like very inspired by my restaurant roots. The concept here is like in a restaurant, you don't actually go every week and buy five thousand rest, rest like ingredients. You find ways to work with the same thing. And in a home kitchen, it should be even more so. So sure. I've got a lot of watermelon dishes here in the book. The escargot, I have the ahi tuna, I have the Sunday roast, I have a watermelon gazpacho. So like by the end of this book, if you actually worked your way from cover to cover, you would learn how versatile watermelon is. You would learn like its water content and how to make it salty, how to make it sweet. And so like that's like sort of like core skill building there is like how to get creative with the with foods like watermelon that you've been eating your whole life and how to think of it differently. And also watermelon is not that expensive. So that's another really good one, right? It's certainly cheaper than a nice. giant ham. And sure. so the idea here is like you're gonna long brine something. Now if you're in the South, you might be familiar to long brining stuff. I don't know. Most people are not. You're gonna take just the rind off of it. You're gonna make an incredibly rich brine. Um, I, t- I walk you through all of the um, marinades here, and then you're going to set that to sort of pickle basically for three days in that delicious flavor. And then you're going to bake it and you're going to bake it and you're going to bake it for, so- you're going to long, slow roast it. You're going to long, slow roast it for so long that you're going to be like, what am I doing? Is this ever going to be done? And by the time it's done, it's going to form an unbelievably terrifyingly accurate skin that looks like in the picture, you can see it like it, it looks like a roast skin. It does look like a roast. Yes. And then when you, it's, it's also going to shrink in size by about like, it's going to be about a third or a quarter of the size that you started out because the juice is going to run out. It's going to look just like a bloody roast when you're baking it. The juice is going to run out a little bit. The skin's going to form. It's going to get nice and firm. Like it's going to be really firm to the touch. And then you cut into it. And depending on how long you brined it for, the flavor is going to really like permeate throughout it. And especially if you baste while you're roasting, which you should, um, then you're going to slice it just like you would a ham and serve it. And it's going to be moist and light and flavorful and very unusual and still very high in fiber and very filling. I mean, how, how did you think of this? So honestly, um, I developed this over a long period of time the way that a lot of us in New York were developing these ideas. And I think it developed a little bit of like internet fame while I was working on the book and I kept it in my book. So (laughs) it, it uses, um, it uses some techniques that are like pretty similar to the Sunday roast, which is like a traditional long bake that would be like a family meal. Sure. Um, and so I just applied it to the watermelon. The watermelon needs a lot more time in the oven, um, for example. But uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, some, sometimes I'm trying to think of things that look like other things. And sometimes I'm right. trying to yeah. think of creative ways to use things that I already cook with. Well, it's so cool. I definitely want to give that one a try. I was very intrigued by it. Um, so I'm I'm. 
I'm going to circle that one, get myself a watermelon and give it a go at some point. And I'll certainly post it and tag you and all that Woo! good stuff. We also have a ahi tuna steak in here yes. with wasabi, coconut, peas. Tell us more. The tuna can't stood out to me as well. What do you make the ahi tuna steak out of? It's watermelon. Ah! <laughs> so I use for that one, I use both yellow watermelon, which really ends up okay. looking exactly like it when it's done. Um, and then I, I do tend to like the, the, the rounder, smaller watermelons for these. Um, okay. but like, yeah, like go to a farmer's market and pick yourself up a bunch of watermelons this season and like make a bunch of the stuff in the book. There's tons of, oh my gosh, how exciting and fun is that? I'm actually, I'm thrilled to get down with some watermelon. Watermelon's like not my favorite, but like this sort of just lends a whole another perspective to it. So I, I, Oh, it's really not going to cool. be like watermelon by the time you're done with it. Right. Coffee. No, exactly. And yeah. I think like banana blossom is like the new fish go-to, but mm-hmm. watermelon is a cheaper and more accessible to us anyway. Much more timing. accessible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it really does lend itself very well to um, that fish, that fish texture. And once you get used to cutting it, you can see exactly like how to cut it to get a steak that will actually give you like, you know, like the, the layer, like the protein layers that happen in a, in a, in a fish where it's like flake after flake after flake, you can get that out of a watermelon with, with, by cutting it vertically instead of horizontally. Nice. Look at that. Look at that tips and tricks, everyone. Uh, we're moving into speaking of all this watermelon, but I don't know if there's any of this in this chapter where it might have normally in quotes, I say, but the dessert chapter, uh, what, what was, is there any watermelon in the dessert chapter? I don't think so actually now that you're (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think that's awesome. That's so cool though. Uh, oh, vegans are, we're just the weirdest. Look at us. Um, I think it's so great. You already know how to eat sweet watermelon. (laughs) <laughs> exactly uh well what was a must-have sweet that you just had to put in this book so i mean i'm best known for my fruit tarts because i am a fruit tart but um <laughs> me too <honey. laughs> um so i love them because they're so much fun to decorate and it's whatever fruit is on season in season can go on top of them but i think like the cheesecake is maybe my favorite photograph in the book and it's just so it's like 10 times more cheerful than my personality. You know, it's like <laughs> day glow, rainbow, hearts and stars everywhere. And I just, I, I, I had so much fun doing it. But I got to say the flan. The flan oh, nice. is like a piece of my heart. And I grew up eating flan. And it, it definitely was something that was important to me. But I was actually incredibly inspired by a dear friend of mine who herself is not vegan but she is dairy free for allergen reasons and uh, she also grew up with her abuela's flan and I think like you know she came to me one day and she's like I can't I can't like flan is my favorite thing it was her birthday flan is her favorite thing but she's never she hasn't had a flan in several years and so I actually just made this recipe when I very first made moved to Boston to make flan for my friend who hadn't had flan in years. And um, I, I have a little story about her and her abuela in the, in the part of the book with the flan. Um, and she cried. She cried when I handed her this flan. I've made, I've made it for her every year since. I love that. 
coming from love for the dairy-free. So good, so good. Uh, well, you got the flan and lots of other great ones in here. I'm just going to mention a few. Uh, the fruit tarts, as we said, uh, lemon curd fruit tart and uh, mini rock, minty Rocky Road ice cream mm. and pistachio rose rose creme brulee and then also a violet macadamia creme brulee the, the list is really just truly impressive in this book of sweet treats and i love me some sweets so i'm here for it uh we finish things off with in this book with a cocktails and other beverages chapter i don't drink anymore so i was drawn to the likes of the sort of apple cider matcha lemonade drinking mm. chocolate and cold brew but what are a couple cocktails of choice for you in this book what's an adult bevy you like to sip on from this book from time to time i mean so i feel like everybody needs a really over-the-top Bloody Mary, whether it's like, you know, a Virgin yes. Mary or a Bloody Mary, you can have just as much fun. Um, because every it's all in the flash anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> all the stuff you can like pile into. Oh, totally. And this does not disappoint for sure. Um, I I am a little bit of like a, you know, like a mixinista. And I I think like um for me, the libertine or the really the alchemist really captures like my desire to find unusual ingredients and bring them together and bring both their like their nutraceutical qualities together and like uh, you know unusual flavor combinations is really like what I look for in a cocktail. I, I tried to keep it pretty traditional in this because it's not really the main focus of the book. If somebody wants sure. to give me another book deal to expand on that, I'd happily do it. <laughs> yeah, um, it could be your cocktail cookbook. Cocktail cookbook. But um but yeah like I mean I I I don't really drink. I like to bartend but I don't really drink. And sure. Um I love to mix variations on classics but i really do believe that like chef crafted cocktails and mocktails like they like are every bit as important to the experience so i really like to, you know i like to teach people how to make oat milk and how to make their own cold brew and if you make just cold brew great but then you can make an irish cold brew um, that's kind of my, nice. that's kind of my method is like step your way up. Yeah. Oh, I like it. And, and that's great. You, you're including that as the in overall culinary experience, which I really, really, I like that perspective a lot. Well, that is the end of the book, my dear. Well, at your book brag section, book brag. if you can just give me, you know, a humble brag, something you're most proud of when it comes to this book, that would be great. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, this book was such a labor of love. It was so delayed. But when it finally hit pre-release, this book, and I am not lying to you, friends, debuted above Thomas Keller's French Laundry book in Gourmet. I beat him out for Look several weeks. For several weeks, this, this vegan cookbook beat out the Gourmet in the gourmet category and yes. you know like no shade to thomas keller i actually am a big admirer of his but you know let's be real no shade this is your book brag honey this is the moment <laughs> to share it and shout it i'm all for it. but that also like That's vegan great. win right like a vegan cookbook yes. is the number one gourmet cookbook right now like that absolutely like we should all like we should all have fun with that and i know like for some people, this is an everyday cookbook. And for some people, it's a special occasion cookbook. But the fact is, is that this book, my goal was to prove to everybody that there's a vegan for everybody and that vegans can be foodies too. And that anything that I can eat, that you can eat not vegan, I can make vegan. And here it is. 
Yes, and you've certainly accomplished that. I love it. And that is The Plant-Based Gourmet, everyone, by Susie Gerber. Go out and get it. And we're going to move into your uh, Baker's Dozen Rapid-Fire Questions. Are you ready? Oh, God. Oh, God. Ah! <laughs> don't stress. Don't sweat. Grab a bottle of water and a towel. We'll get through this as fast as we can. Here we go. Number one, a celebrity you want to make dinner for. Grant Hitchens. There you go. See, off the bat. Done no, right wait, there. wait, I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> my real answer, and I honestly, like, I'm sending him a copy of my book very soon, actually. Alan Cumming. There you go. There you go. He wants all the vegan books. That That's a good one. Uh, food on a stick or a tiny spoon? God. Uh, on a stick. On a stick. <laughs> if I'm honest, like, that's what I want to eat right now. <laughs> I could hear that was like stress a stressful moment. You're like, I, I, what do I want to eat? What do uh, I want to serve? I want to eat the uh, stick and I want to serve the spoon. <laughs> right. Uh, favorite spice to cook with? Smoked paprika, Spanish smoked paprika. There you go. That's a popular one here on the Keep On Cooking Pod, and it's one of my favorites as well. This one is a little bit of a tricky question because maybe you don't sing kar- karaoke, but if you ever did, or you do, or even if you don't, what would your song to sing at karaoke? Uh, always Danzig Mother. What is it? What is that? Danzig Mother. Don't don't let your children walk my way. Don't let them hear my words, what they mean, what they say, mother. Oh, my gosh. Oh, And also, I mean, that's a little bit of a nod to my homeboy, Doyle, who gave me a little recommendation on the back of the book. Yes. Misfits OG. Yes. I love that. Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. Um, That's great. That's great. Thank you for the singing, too. We appreciate it. Now I'm not the only one who sings on the podcast. Oh, no. Uh, well, you said you answered most used tool in the kitchen earlier, which I think was a Vitamix or most or favorite tool. But what's the yeah, what's your most used tool in the kitchen? And if it is Vitamix, what's like a runner up to that? Um, honestly, I use I basically at this point use my uh, Shun knife and my silicone spatulas and not much else. There you go. <laughs> this one's a loaded question. Uh, favorite vegan restaurant? Dun, dun, dun. If you have to give top three. Oh, God. I mean, oh, so many RIPs. Um, I know. I know. I know. Uh, favorite vegan restaurant? Veg. I mean, it's so, it's so, yeah. like, oh, yeah. it's so classic, but like, um, there's but this amazing so restaurant in Berlin called Mono, uh, La Mano Verde amazing okay. all vegan restaurant as well um oh 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 um Sawarsa, the bed and breakfast in scotland in nice. Pitlochry. amazing chef nice. their chef is like right. serious serious yeah Sawarsa. Uh. I love that. Great. So we got your top three there. Good. Uh, what is your most used emoji on your phone? Oh, the smiling while sweating emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Mine right now for the longest time has been the shrug. Oh, like, yeah. Oh. Close second. Close yeah. Second. It just feels like appropriate for the times. Everything is like, I don't know what's happening anymore. Wait. It's March 372nd. What are you talking about? You never told me what your karaoke song was. 
Oh, mine is <laughs> Cool Rider from Grease 2, the movie. <laughs> um, it is actually available on karaoke, and I'm not a karaoke person, but when they have that, I'm like, I'll do that. Who's? I'm going to go do that right now. I'll be right back. Like, don't need to be drunk or anything. I can just, just let me go sing that Michelle Pfeiffer song. I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> if, if you weren't a chef, what would your dream job be? Uh, gosh, I've been so many things. Um, what I really want is to help people make the best possible decisions to live their best life. So for me, that ended up looking like, like the intersection of nutrition and food. So I guess like other ways that that could look are like, Maybe I would do like um, edible gardening for everybody, regardless of like urban, not urban, regardless of income. Oh, I yeah. I love that. And I need your help desperately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite dish to make carnivores and why? Oh, God. So the number one thing that I make people <laughs> that, that are like, they give me that face of like, what are we going to eat? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. Is uh, I take the recipe in my book that's like called the squash cheese. And I take that cheese and I eat if I'm if I'm with Brits and people from the UK that know what I'm talking about. Um, I make cauliflower cheese. Um, and if I'm with Americans, I make um a mac and cheese with that same. Oh, and if people okay. tell me that they're like watching their carbs or whatever nonsense, sure. I will take that same cheese and I will make a broccoli cheddar soup with it. Oh, nice. Okay. That's a good one. That is a good, good route together. I love that. Uh, do you have a vegan junk food that you enjoy from time to time? A favorite vegan junk food? Oh my God. So much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, I feel like I'm like going to forget so many things. Um, Or like, what's the last like sort of vegan junk food you enjoyed? So right now, my favorite like snack is I take a piece of chow, like creamy original. And I wrap a slice of Honest Pastures Montreal chicken around it. And I just eat it like that. Okay, there you go. Uh, Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper? Wait, really? Is that a co- is there a contest there? Ah! <laughs> wait, 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 wait! I'm just gonna look up this person to see, like, is is this like is that even fair? Do I even know? The, the, oh, though I just feel like the world is has been semi obsessed with either one of them. Uh, and I, didn't I mean, Brad Pitt, me. obviously, between those two. <laughs> but like the <laughs> fact that how is there a contest with like? He was never, Bradley <gasps> Cooper was like, do our people answering the other? No, it goes either way sometimes. To me, they're totally different. It's a totally different like spin, right? But I do, I do have a big crush on Bradley Cooper. I feel like. I actually think I might choose Bradley Cooper. Whoa. What about Bradley Cooper versus Ray Fiennes? Oh, I don't know. Because they're no, like, they're kind of more of the same up. type. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. I don't know. Now I can't choose. Now I'm all flustered. <laughs> I just don't know. 
But I don't know why I don't pick Brad Pitt either. Now that we're diving in, well, because he like he's had huh, his moment. Ray Fiennes. No, I'd still I'd still pick Bradley Cooper over Ray Fiennes. But I hear what you're saying. But you're going Brad Pitt route. Then, oh yes? yeah. I mean, first of all, all right. my Brad Pitt is always always going to be. You're never. You're, you want to try guessing what my Brad Pitt is? Thelma and Louise Brad Pitt. Uh, no way. No way. Fight Club. No. Which Brad Pitt? <gasps> Louis from Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> uh, that was going to be my third guess. I kid you not. I was like, I guess I'm just keeping it. My Brad Pitt will always and forever be Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's like a solid one, saying. but like it doesn't bring I out mean, how bad I am. But yeah, I get, I get where your version is going. I see you. I see you. Uh, all right. Two more questions left. Hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Uh, always hot sauce. barbecue sauce is too sweet too much sugar i hear you i hear you i hear you i hear you uh what's the last thing you cooked i should really know this (laughs) Uh, it's gotta be something I'm sure. I'm sure you cooked something in the last twenty four. I know. Hours. I know. I, my brain is just swimming. Um, I think it was. I mean, honestly, a smoothie. <laughs> there you go. No, I that's it. That's it. That's my totally favorite right. right now is cashew butter smoothie. Ooh, yes, cashew always makes everything so velvety and lush and delicious. I love it. Well. My dear, thank you so much for being here. Please let everyone know where they can find you on social media and what your website is. Great. Yeah, you can find me on at Chef Susie Gerber. That's uh, Susie, S-U-Z-I, on Instagram and on Twitter. My website is plantbasedgourmet.com. You can also find me, Plant Based Gourmet, on Instagram. And um, hit me up. I'm really friendly and I like new friends. I love it. And everyone, go get a copy of Plant-Based Gourmet, Vegan Cuisine for the Home Chef with 150 recipes for high-end plant-based cuisine everywhere books are sold right now. Thank you for being here, Susie. This was a delight. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. She is a food nerd, and I love it as I push up my little glasses here. You can hear her passion (laughs) for food when she talks, and uh, she's not afraid to roll up her sleeves and dig deep, which is what I was talking about in the beginning with the seafood. It's amazing to me when someone really goes into vegan seafood in a book. I wonder if there's a whole book dedicated to it yet. Um, You know, hers is obviously way more than seafood, but she really has a passion for recreating those flavors of the sea. Uh, But there's a lot to learn from her and this book, and it was just lovely to chat with her. She's a cool gal. Cool gal. Uh, Well, speaking of cool gals... Mm -hmm. How about Dustin? Oh, my cool gal. My, your cool gal. I'll be Dustin your Dustin and Dustin's dish seasons. this year. Uh, this year. This year. This year. Dustin. Who knows? This week. What this day year, is it? Where are this we? Planet. Here we are. What is Dustin's dish? Can you name that movie uh, that I just sang that song from? What song? Girl for all seasons, all the years Grease too. Uh, Grease too, baby. Grease 2 Mama. I was, I was panicked that it was Grease 1. No, Grease, Grease two, 2 Mama. Listen, out there, if you haven't seen Grease 2, do yourself a favor. Watch it. Stop this podcast right now and go watch it. Do you like it? Yeah. Oh, I thought for some reason maybe you did. You don't have the I like. I, I don't do. have like the history of like watching it a lot like you do. But uh, Okay, so everybody, there was like a period between my 5th and 6th grade year or 6th and 7th grade year. I watched that movie every day in the summer. Every day. 
my sister could tell you the words to songs because I watched it so much. She's mad at me for it, which yeah. is funny because I'm mad at her for watching Annie the Musical so much when we were kids. And then there my, we go. my life grew into Annie the Musical. For those of you that don't know, David and I met on the Broadway revival of Annie the, mm. the Musical. Anyway, into Dustin's douche. Uh, as I mentioned, dish. <laughs> can't, can't change that one into a oosh. <laughs> into Dustin's dish. That's Here we go. Okay. Uh, well, Susie talked a lot about vegan seafood uh, in this episode, and her book is peppered with a ton of it, as I mentioned, uh, these great flavors of the sea. So it's definitely uh, fun to dig in there and see all those cool recipes. But I wanted to give a quick little tip on adding flavors of the sea to vegan food quickly if that is your Ooh, thing this is good yeah right you know, yeah little, little no, shake sh- keep some little shake of shakers in your pantry uh if that's your thing or if you're looking for some quick go-to staples uh to have on hand to make like a chickpea tuna or tofu cutlet with with fishy flavors you can add seaweed which really gives you the taste of the ocean by just adding like kelp flakes dulse flakes or crumbled up pieces of nori i mean you can find that stuff in grocery stores now not easily but whole foods definitely has it and you can order it online of course but all health food stores will have it because seaweed is like a superfood so everyone's got that kind of stuff um but you want to add maybe some lemon juice too or pickle juice or even nutritional yeast whether i would add the nutritional yeast with some of the other stuff i'm just saying these are nice additions with it um you add it in the recipe or you add it at the end so mix it in during or after um all that stuff's reminiscent of seafood flavors it's lovely so play with your food uh you don't always have to dive deep into the ocean to make a fish sauce All from right. scratch or do a marinade. Okay. Hey, you see what I did there? Sometimes <laughs> we you like just... puns here. Well, I'm terrible at them. Dave, that was great. a good one. You're great with that words. That caught me off guard. Oh, look what I, like I did. That. I'm surprising. You dove deep into my heart. After all these years. Um, <laughs> sometimes you can just add some of these things for quick additions or make a marinade or a sauce from scratch or whatever. But uh, we actually keep nori on hand, and I'll toss that into the food processor with chickpeas if I'm feeling the need for a tuna melt. Uh, so just add it. Give it a little taste. Give it a little boom. Little flavors of the sea. There you go. Can I add on to that with a, a David's dish? Sure. Of my favorite, my favorite uh, vice seasoning. Oh, I, Old, I didn't even put that in here. That's so Old smart. Old Bay. Yeah, Old Bay. Old, Bay's, Old Bay Old is Bay. a great little. There's the, yeah, because of you, I put that in the lobster roll that's in Epic Vegan, I, be, yeah. I believe. Everything. Well, I, and I also, if anything. we're talking about quick fishy flavors... Uh, you can also do like if you want like texture or something like that. You can do hearts of palm or artichoke. Like I, oh yeah, we always use those when we make like crabless cakes or something. Crabless cakes, yeah. The, um, the texture is mm-hmm, kind of pretty mm-hmm. much right on you once you like cook it and everything. But air fry it, or fry it up with a little bay. old bay, honey, with honey. The old bay, honey, old bay. That's great, babe. Thanks. Uh, of course. Um, I have a few every once in a while. Um, but hey, y'all, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you can, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, we're still on our little podcast journey, and any any reviewing and rating uh, and subscribing really is helpful for us. So helpful. Also about that Old Bay, I always get, oh my gosh, Old Bay's vegan? Yes, it is. There you go. It is. That's they have vegan. pictures of like <laughs> fish all over on the outside, it's but it's not inside. For a crawfish brawl, but that's not why we use it. Anyways, thanks for listening. Come back next week for a brand new episode. Until then, keep on cooking and remember, it's nice to be nice. This has been a Muzzy Cat production. <laughs>